0: Allison, I have a question for you mm-hmm. before we start. Are warranties a scam?
1: Depends on the warranty.
0: Can I tell you a story? Yeah. All right. We did start. I got a line on my TV.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: have a big TV. Like, Samsung? When did you buy it? I'll tell you. 80-inch TV, 80-something uh-huh. inch TV. I bought it in March 2019.
1: Okay. So pretty new.
0: Pretty new, right? There's a line on my TV.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A big fucking line all the way across. Uh-huh. So I went to Best Buy. They said, oh, too late. Your two-year warranty is expired. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I know. But like, I just got this TV. It's not even two years old. Like, mm-hmm. And she goes to me, well, you could buy a new TV. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm in Best Buy. I know I could buy a new TV. I don't want to. Like, what recourse do I have? She was mm-hmm. like, unfortunately, nothing. You can call Samsung, but they're going to charge you $700 just to come to your house. The TV, the TV, we can give it to you for $1,900. So I was like, but I don't want to." So anyway- with that said, am I a sucker for not
2: buying the warranty? No. I, never, I never buy the warranty. I
1: never buy the warranty on things like TVs.
2: They shouldn't break it after two no. years. You, no. have to, you have to think about it like just the odds. Like you buy 10 TVs and never buy the warranty. You end up saving money even if you have to replace one of those TVs. Right? Is that the way to think Especially about
1: it? Especially because TVs get so much cheaper. Right. Like you're going to be paying. And better. Like, yeah, cheaper and better.
0: In my office, I have a 55-inch Sony that is at least 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And it still runs pretty well. Wait, what brand is broken? Samsung. I've
3: I've had it two just got it. I've had two Samsung TVs that have broken like within like at same amount of time. I should
0: have asked you before I bought the TV.
3: Yeah, like I don't know if you I don't I'm you know you probably Google searched all this stuff, but like they're like entire message boards of like the same thing breaks in like a certain design of TV. So like I don't know what caused that line, but there's probably like two thousand people who are experiencing the exact same thing, and they'll either tell you it's It's this easy to fix or you just have to
0: throw it out? I was talking to Ben today about it because I was supposed to have Best Buy come to my house Mm -hmm. between 9 and 12. They just didn't come, which is a whole other story. So he said, oh, you're getting a new TV? I said, no, 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 no. It's for something else. I said, I'm, I'm not taking the loss on that TV. <laughs> and Ben's like, dude, you already took the loss. Your TV's broken. You're watching TV. With <laughs> Your TV's broken. broken.
1: Well, also, it's expensive. To, is it even possible to fix TVs like Not that? this. I'm telling
0: yeah.
2: you, it's $700 just for them to come diagnose
1: it. Mm-hmm. And
0: then at least that to fix it. The TV is $2,000. Okay.
2: 1900 So I have a Samsung. The other day, it told me it's out of memory. I have to delete either Disney Plus or Netflix. Ooh, that's tough Like that's the on-screen message Like you have too many apps I have five apps I have Spotify I have Disney Plus I have Netflix mm. HBO Max And maybe one other thing That they force you to have That you can't delete And they're like You're out of space So I go through With a whole menu trouble Troubleshoot menu There's no way to do this So I start deleting apps And it's still not enough memory So finally I just said Alright, I'm calling Samsung This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen Right? Yeah they're like, well, you need, you need to update the uh, operating system on the TV. I'm like, you need to. They're like, no, we're not going to push out this upgrade for a little while. So if you actually want it to work, here's what you have to do. I had to download computer code to my computer, put a thumb drive in, pull the thumb drive out, put it into the TV. I couldn't reach the back of the TV because it's bracketed to the wall. This was like hours of time to get this, this thing to just do what it was doing fine the day before. Did it work? It eventually worked. Very, very frustrating. It's annoying. It's annoying. I don't. I don't. This know. is like.
3: Isn't this like all? Might be done with Samsung forever. Isn't this exactly what has old school car people like terrified of new cars?
2: Because it's all a computer now. Yeah,
3: it's all like the mechanics versus the electronics, or, or whatever you call it.
0: It's all shifting.
1: Yeah, there's chips in everything. There's chips in my refrigerator and my oven now.
3: It, Soon there's
0: t- trips in your turkey sandwich. And yeah.
3: then
2: sometimes you're just like Or you get on the side of your turkey sandwich. How about sandwich. it's not a computer? How about it's just a refrigerator and it's fine like that. I don't need the computer. I don't know what anyone needs the computer for.
1: It's just another way for them to track you too. I mean Yeah,
2: they're tracking my fridge usage. I knew it. <laughs> I always knew they were deep down. Uh how you feeling? Are you nervous? You alright? Are you running this solo? Is my mic on? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can all hear right. you. Yeah. All right, give me the click. The
1: Compound and Friends, episode eleven.
2: Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets – Will the U.S. have record high COVID cases before 2022? God, I hope not. Will August inflation be above 0.5%? Will Trump run for president? With over $100 million traded in its first year, Polymarket is the go-to platform to settle the biggest debates of the day. I haven't placed a a trade yet, but I'm definitely going to before next week's show. So I'll be back to you on that, what I end up doing. So head over to polymarket.com. Today, I make an account. Sign up with the referral code COMPOUND to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link for more.
2: All right, we're back. Hey, (laughs) I'm sorry to do that to you. All right, so first of all, thank you guys for coming today. We have have a very, very special show. Secretly, I've been using this show as a way to reconnect with my old friends, and I couldn't be happier to see you, Allison. Sam, you're an old pro. You've been here on the show before. Let me me just uh, give people a very quick introduction. Uh, Allison writes for Bloomberg Opinion Now. You have the known unknowns letter. I read it every week, which we oh, we you. all read and share. Uh, we think we think the world of your writing, and you're a PhD. Yes. Okay. In television repair. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that
1: would be so much more useful.
2: <laughs> okay, economics. I Econ- assume
1: economics. Yeah.
2: Okay. Awesome. So we're so we're so glad to have you back. Uh, and you've been on the compound before. You've done all our videos, all our podcasts. So you're you're kind of an old pro too. And uh, Sam writes the Axios Markets uh, letter, which you took over what a month ago, six weeks ago, uh, two months ago. Are oh, you burnt out ago. already? Yeah, I'm totally burnt out. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, and I read your and I read your thing every day. You're you're going five days a week. Five days a week. Yeah. You're doing like five topics per letter.
3: Yeah, it's 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 four topics per letter, and a lot of collaboration with a lot of the other business reporters. How many is. how many people are covering business at Axios right now? Uh, you know that's a great question. I think. Depending on well, how you count, define. Felix is five people. Who yeah. else? <laughs> uh, so we also have Hope King writing. Oh yeah, um, yeah, one of the editors I work with, Kate Marino, okay. writes a lot about debt and stuff. Um, uh, I also have a colleague, Courtney Brown. Uh, okay. She writes the uh, closing, bu- the the closer. That's the after the close newsletter. Um, and then there's you know they have a big tech team over there too with uh, Ina Fried.
2: And- do, you, do you feel like this group of writers because you've you've you were at Business Insider, you were at Yahoo Finance. Do you feel like this group is, like, a really good group? Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. Very, very strong. Like, everyone is very deep into their subject matter.
2: And I think everybody compliments each other really well, too. Like. You're not overlapping on stuff, You're, but you're able to speak to each other's th- uh, things that you write.
3: Right, yeah. Like, you know, if something happens with, like, market mechanics, you know, Felix raises his hand and starts talking and writes something, <laughs> you know, right away. Um, anything involving, like, debt markets, credit, um, you know, I have
2: two editors who like spent their entire careers covering this stuff. So, okay, do you call it, a, is it like when you're at Axios? Do you guys call it a newsroom, or it's it's a little it's bit a more? It is. It's a newsroom. Yeah, yeah
3: there's. I, I think everybody defines it differently, but it's just easier to call it a newsroom.
2: All right, so we're gonna start there because you did a thing about how the S and P 500 forward price earnings ratio actually has gone down. I, I feel like the last few years, a lot of what the bears were saying about stocks is that it's multiple expansion and it's driven by easy money, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's not actually the case this year. So let me- uh
0: there, are, there are no dumb questions, right? We're in a safe space?
2: Yeah, why? What do you got? So
0: I understand where the forward estimates come, or the where the forward PE comes for single stocks. How do we get the forward PE for the S&P 500 as a whole? Is it just an aggregate of all the forward estimates for individual stocks?
3: Yeah, it's just it's an aggregate. I think the way- so this is this one's compiled by FactSet, and I think the way the analyst does it over there is, um, it's either a a weighted a weighted average based off of all those ratings, or I, I can't do ex- the exact math, but I don't think it, reflects, really knows. it reflects it okay. reflects it reflects it reflects the proportions of of the breakdown of the S and P five hundred. So tech stocks will have a higher weight than financials. And, all right, so and allow me awesome. to quote
2: Sam Rowe. The S&P 500's forward P.E. touched a high of 23.6 on August 28, 2020, according to FactSet. that that day closed at 35.08. Since then, the forward P.E. has trended lower, registering at 21.2 as of July 30. During that period, the S&P surged 25% to 43.95. So basically, earnings are far outpacing uh, stock gains, which is like actually kind of nice. But first time, long time. First time in a long time, and I think it's kind of like under, under-recognized. under Is that a word?
0: Maybe, but I have a question for the two of you. Do you know how accurate these forward estimates are? Allison, have you done any work on this?
1: I haven't, but I'm assuming these are projected earnings?
3: Projected earnings. Yeah, so forward 12-month earnings.
1: So, I mean, I don't know. It depends on the sector probably. But I'd obviously be curious if we could take this out another couple of years. Because I reckon in fall 2020, prices were high. Remember, right. stock was going up. But, like, firms weren't making any money. Yes. And now they're yeah. making money. And prices have continued to go up. Right. So the idea this has gone down since the pandemic doesn't shock me. But I'd be curious if we could take it out two more years.
3: Yeah, so... You I mean, mean take, it, take it
0: backwards.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you... About this chart is like, OK, you know, uh, two multiples down is not mind blowing stuff, but it's the fact that direction you know, directionally it's interesting.
2: But you're right. The dire- magnitude is not great. right. The
3: magnitude is not spectacular, but it's also this reminder that like just because, you know, there is a high valuation in the market doesn't mean prices have to come down. Prices were going up this entire time. If that denominator is catching up with you, the stocks can get cheaper while prices are going up.
2: So, Allison, Mm -hmm. to answer your question, uh, Ben Carlson did a piece back in '19 showing that forward earnings numbers always start out too high, Mm -hmm. and then they come down as the year progresses, and obviously by year end they get pretty close to reality. But I asked uh, Michael and Ben if there were times where earnings growth was outpacing stock performance. Here's so I thought this was really interesting uh in the 2010s it lined up pretty closely so you had 156% earnings growth and 214% S&P 500 performance so for people to say oh it was a, it's a bubble it's a bubble well actually the earnings growth lines up like okay with with what ended up happening uh but then you've got these periods of time where earnings growth is better than stocks and i, I you know it's it's this year so far we're we're 7 months into the year but i just thought it was interesting that you really could have all different versions of that And the most pronounced version uh, up here to me of earnings being better than stocks is the 70s, which did you know that offhand? Yeah. You you knew that that was the case? Not to brag, but I did. Not to brag, but you definitely did know that. Um, But look, so I'm curious what you guys think. Does this trend persist into year end? Because consensus earnings estimates are still high going into the end of the year. This past quarter, earnings growth was incredible. But can we reasonably expect stocks to keep up? Probably not. So we could actually see that get even more pronounced. Uh, you could have fifty percent earnings growth this year, and twenty percent stock growth.
0: We had eighty three percent of S and P five hundred stocks beated expectations, the highest like ever. So it's pretty wild. I don't even. It's not that the analysts were so behind in this. Like I don't think anybody. I certainly didn't expect earnings to be this strong.
3: So, so for this for this particular piece, I had a, actually a pretty long conversation with Lizette Saunders at Charles Schwab about this. And one of the things she pointed out was, you know, a lot of this in terms of like the accuracy of uh, analyst earnings forecasts and why there's so many revisions happening is because all these companies had cut guidance last year and like, not cut, but like suspended suspended, suspended right. guidance. And they're still in the process of, of returning to this. And as a result of the lack of guidance, there seems to be a bias for analysts to to be more conservative than what actually happens. Right. So
1: is that a recent bias?
3: I don't think that's actually a recent bias because um, there's a. So I'm glad you asked because I actually looked into this. There's a, a accounting professor at NYU. His name is Baruch Lev, who's actually done a lot of work on this kind of thing. Jewish, we think. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. Uh, go on. Um, but you know, I, I you know this, this is pr- it's pretty intuitive, but like the history you know tells you that whenever a company pulls guidance or or suspends guidance, it tends to precede, you know, a very long, a a lengthy time of, a lengthy period of bad news or disappointment.
2: In
0: so many ways this year and last year with the anomaly. Right.
2: Yeah, this is the opposite. And I think one of the the challenges with getting the earnings growth number right this year is we had no buybacks last year. Like they suspended them in March and they didn't come back. Mm -hmm. This year, obviously, they have more cash than ever. We have to assume there'll be huge buybacks into year end, which then shrinks the float and EPS increases.
0: Also, how many people had operating margins at an all-time high uh, on their calendar, on their forecast last year?
2: Nobody. Oh, I would have guessed the exact opposite. If you're telling me labor is expensive, yep. if you're telling me raw materials are expensive. Yep. Wage, um, yeah. And didn't,
0: didn't Chipotle, even after their wage increases, have pretty decent margins? Yeah. Like, I oh, it, yeah I don't think yeah, I' come yeah. into that very much at all.
3: Yeah, no, I remember uh, you know we were talking about Chipotle the last time we were here, and I remember following up on that, yeah their their profit margins are expanding. did you, you
2: just did you write something about uh, did you write something about profit margins as a percent of revenue also hitting a, a record high? Yeah, so
3: so high? yeah, okay. net margins, net
2: margins um, uh, hitting a record high and uh, inconceivable. <laughs> At least for right. me, I never would. Have, I never would have thought we would be seeing that.
3: Yeah, but it, it's so the 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 feedback that I've gotten is it's a combination of companies spending all of last year figuring out how to you know cut costs like you know closing offices, replacing
2: people with machines and stuff.
3: And let's not forget that you know there's 10 million job openings up out there, and we're still. Like five is that where all the
2: money is being saved, they have one person yeah,
3: they're, they're doing a n- job of two people. Exactly. They're not paying <laughs> any people. So it's like, yeah, sure, you're raising wages for individuals, but you have fewer people on the payroll. So, so have you
1: seen anything about productivity? You'd expect it to be way high.
3: Um, yeah, I, I don't I admittedly I don't follow like the aggregate productivity numbers that closely because um at least from like the the stock market perspective, because that's the other thing too. Like this is a very, this is very specific to like S&P 500 gigantic companies.
0: Well, this is a great question for Allison. How is productivity measured?
1: Um, well, not well. Um, generally. <laughs> it's a big controversy. It's the right? profit margin. It is. It is. You, you look at growth and you net out capital and labor and whatever's left over is productivity, but it's notoriously terrible. So it's like a catch it's all inaccurate.
0: for whatever's left over.
1: Yeah.
2: Why is it notoriously terrible? What is, is, it, is, it, well, miss, mes- is it missing things? It
1: misses things. Measure, things change, you know, prices of goods change. It's, it's not necessarily that accurate, but it's the best we've got.
2: Okay. So I know there's a big controversy, like the West Coast, they don't think productivity measurements mean anything. The the tech people, they're like, what are you talking about? How can you not see how much productivity we're gaining?
1: I reckon that might be true. Um, Or, you know, they – Often, you know, what makes an economy more productive takes a couple – like the steam engine apparently took to 100 years to show up in productivity estimates. But, but
2: when it did. <laughs>
1: <you> know, <laughs> so um, I'm, bullet, I, I'm sympathetic to the argument. But also you think as the economy changes, perhaps the measurements we had before no longer are valid. how, so, how I think of a the case.
2: How, how many things did you have to mentally throw away over the last 18 months because of how strange everything is right now or, or not really?
1: Wow, a lot. <laughs>
2: a lot, right?
1: But you know, that's what's the good thing about being an economist. You always find out you were wrong.
2: <laughs> Are you delighted when something happens that completely forces you to change the way you thought about how the machine works? Well, or?
1: the two times that's happened was the financial crisis and the pandemic. So not happy things and bad for people, but okay. good in terms. So of It's always going to be a learning.
2: crisis that shakes that shakes you out of your uh, your beliefs. Well, I because guess.
1: good things happen very slowly. You yes. know, you're like, you look back on data for the last 10 years, you're like, well, inflation was low and un- and so was unemployment. That's nice. But you'd only notice that 10 years later, right. as opposed to like a crisis. It's like-
2: People weren't very excited about that in real time.
1: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I agree with you. What what was the biggest surprise for you about the way 2021 has shaped up so far economically versus like what you would have been expecting at the end of last year?
1: I think how strong it's coming back. Okay. You know, that there was less damage than I would have thought.
2: You thought there was damage that maybe would have taken years or decades to repair to like the labor force or – Into small businesses. Yeah.
0: I didn't think that you could put the economy on ice and have it reopen the way that we have. And obviously there are problems in a lot of the manufacturing and Mm -hmm. there's bottlenecks and all those sort of things. But of course there was going to be problems. But to what we were just talking about with earnings at all-time highs, I I mean I could not have predicted this. I'm
3: shocked that we're not looking at like a barren wasteland right now like all the stuff that you talked that we were everyone was talking about during the financial crisis for instance with like money seizing up and access to credit and all this stuff like becoming a big problem but you know last year activity actually just stopped like this is something that you're seeing in front of you and so like what happens when you know money stops moving in that sort of intuitive way
1: well we threw a lot of money at the problem that's true. Like, I'm not right. sure how I feel about current policy, but I think we did a good job last year.
2: Well, last year was whatever it takes. And this year, whatever it takes is probably inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a huge disagreement about what does it take. And then there were different constituents that want different mm-hmm. things out of the new rounds of, of... But last year was like, just give everything to everyone. No bankruptcies, no foreclosures, can't throw anybody out of anything. Like, like it, it almost felt like more of a team effort. But then, of course, obviously that couldn't last. A few trillion dollars later, it's like, okay, game on. So what w- yeah.
0: one of the unforeseeable things that came out of this was 18 months later, however far removed we are from the beginning of it, is wages – or or I'm sorry, labor having the upper hand. Um, and so one of the trends that we're looking at is low-skilled jobs – their their wage growth outpaces overall pay in June. This is this is a rarity. So, Allison, what do we make of this? What
2: is this chart? Wait, Mike, what is this chart showing us? This is
0: showing the wage gain for low-skilled employers or low-skilled employees okay. versus overall growth. And you could see that the gap, the, gap
2: is, the gap is closed.
0: Low-skilled jobs are actually outpacing overall, which is incredibly rare. it I don't think it's ever it happened once in 09.
1: Well, I don't know if you saw the New York Fed t- just had this survey about people's reservation wage, like how much they'd have to get paid to go back to work. And for low people with a high school degree or less, that reservation wage has gone up twenty percent in the last year, like what? the highest it's ever Is this gone.
2: Construction up. jobs? Is that no, why?
1: Just maybe, or even. Honestly, even to go back to being a hotel. So trail. leisure
0: and hospitality is an example. Yeah. Annualized 6.6% over the past years. People are saying, no, if you're going to get me back in that shit job, I want more money or I'm not coming back.
1: Also, if you're you getting the enhanced unemployment benefits, if you're in a low pay job, like $300 a week, it's huge. Like you're going to lose money by going back to work. So they better really give you a lot to go back as opposed to if you're making 120000 a year, it's less compelling.
0: And Sam, you write a lot about jolts. Like there are. I don't know how rare this is, but there are more job openings than there are job seekers. What the hell is going on with this economy?
2: Ten, 10.1 million open jobs, which is the highest and how many people on, are on record. It's like
0: 8.6 million people are filing for uh, jobless claims.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the
3: jobless claims is, is kind of a weird number. But yeah, the, however you measure it, there's more job openings than, than, than people. Than ever.
2: That, yeah. 10 million. <laughs> what is wrong with this country? Like, why? is it they don't live in the right place? Or is it skills mismatch? Or how, how many of
0: these people that quit are trying to do their own thing, like start a business? What, with, you, I mean, I, new business formation is exploding, right?
1: Yeah. If you look at new business applications, like they've in a recession, they've never gone up this much. They're up a lot. And not only that, they're up a lot for single proprietor businesses, like people who aren't going to hire other people. So it seems like people are sort of going out on they're their own. They're shooting their shot. Yeah. And I thought last year that made sense. Like, oh, people are stuck at home. Maybe they'll do some gig work on the side. But this is going up still all spring. When we're ha- seeing this big mismatch when they could get a job,
0: I think people are still underestimating the impact of working from home and people like taking their lives into their own hands. like the I cloud, don't-
2: it's the cloud that the cloud is what ena- the cloud and the cell phone did not exist in the last recession. like I mean, we had phones, but come on, like Nothing the iPhone so. was one year old in '08, and there was no cloud computing to speak of that anybody to, knew about. The cloud and the cell phone are what enables somebody to wake up one day. And say, that supermarket. I'm going to start a bike repair company and take care of all the kids' bikes in the neighborhood. And I have a website in 15 minutes. I have a phone number. I could process credit card transactions with my phone. I'm never answering to somebody again. We are, under, we are underestimating those two pieces of technology working in concert. Like, are having a big impact on whether or not people will ever take these jobs. Like, we used to be yeah. afraid of robots. We might f-ing need robots um, for anything to get done. So
0: so super bullish for stocks, right? Talk about their margins, like <laughs> super yeah, bullish for we'll see a lot of productivity.
1: Stocks. It's like I was saying about how it took 100 years for the steam engine to show up in productivity. I think we just had a shock that just sped up a transformation that normally would have taken 20 years. We did it in one.
2: It's, un- it's really an unbelievable thing to have
1: lived I through.
0: Also, I also don't think anybody has the answers for how this plays out, what this looks like in the future. Like how could anybody possibly know what happens 24 months from now?
2: Here's uh, I don't even
1: know what's going to happen in November.
2: Here's Peter here's <laughs> Peter Bukvar. We love Peter. Uh, while somewhat dated at least in June the US economy had a record number of job openings 10.07 million. That was 800,000 more than expected. Great job with the expectations, guys. And up from a revised 9.5 million in May, positively too, the number of hirings rose by 697,000 after a little change in the prior two months. The number of quitters rose, quit rate 2.7%, second highest. Since the survey started in December 2000. So that's the thing.
0: It's like people are quitting. We have this chart, John. Like they've never done before.
2: Look at look at this. Look at that. Look at yeah, that. Yeah, beautiful. Unbelievable. Speaking of cloud. All right. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what is basically – yeah, I mean this is like not what you would expect to see a year after a recession. Uh, a quit rate with that level of confidence. Like people just being like – I'm out. I don't need this anymore. But – but Alison, yeah.
0: we, sw- we were talking about um, the extended unemployment benefits, but even states that uh, suspended that mm-hmm. are not seeing, like, people flooding back to work.
1: Well, I, s- yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Oh,
3: sorry. No, you go. No, you go.
0: Okay. No, you
2: go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. Both of you so, go.
3: So, there's, you know, another thing that, you know, I think we're not talking about yet is this whole matter of excess savings, right? Like this whole, like the additional, like the, the rate at which people were saving their income, uh you know over like whatever the pre pandemic level was and then you start that from march and go into now and there's like 2 trillion dollars in excess savings that consumers have accumulated
2: that's got to be helping fuel the quit rate because you're not quitting your job if you don't feel confident that you can live for 6 months without income right. while you figure out what you want to do next so
3: so nick bunker at indeed does a survey that revealed something like this. And one of the big reasons why people aren't urgently seeking a job is because they all have these financial cushions, whether it's, um, I don't know, stimulus checks or whatever, or not having spent anything while they were working from home.
0: You know what bullshit, bullshit server we don't hear about anymore? 40% of Americans don't have $400 in emergency savings. <laughs> <laughs> and we fix
2: that? <laughs> Everybody has that right now. We fix that. Um, did, did, okay, let me put it to you this way. Was the second round... Of unemployment benefits from the federal government, bad policy. Is that a mistake? Was it poorly targeted? Was it poorly thought out? What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it was. A, I mean, it, if Did I'm it a, stop
2: people who would otherwise have gone out and filled some of these ten million jobs from doing so?
1: Probably on the. I think these things work on the margin. Sort of like you're home, you don't have good childcare, and someone's paying you more to be at home. I think that's the tipping point. I don't yeah. think any one thing does it. I think it's this confluence of thing. And like probably, honestly, a lot of these people who are home are like, I would love to go back to get a job again. I'd like to get out of the house and stop looking after like four three-year-olds. Right. But it's like, you layer in that they're going to be losing money to do that, then they don't.
2: Taking care of three-year-olds is like the hardest job in the country and mm-hmm. it, there's no compensation for it. We don't pay moms to be at home or dads to be at home with children. It's it's a kind of a weird thing because it's the I wouldn't like I wouldn't do that job if I if I were given that choice.
1: Yeah, so. and uh, everyone who has small children really had a hard time this last year, that stuff.
2: Right. So all right, so but but like if we could do it all over again, do you think we would have less less open jobs or or is that too small of an answer? So you
1: mean extending the unemployment extend enhanced unemployment benefit or the big checks we Both. gave out? Well, the big checks were just based on your income. So I mean, I, I, I am more pessimistic on them because I just feel like they were expensive and unnecessary. Okay. Assuming interest rates stay low forever, maybe it won't be a problem, but it's just sort of added more to the debt load.
0: Oh uh, I want to ask you about this. Huh? What do you think this does to forward policy? Mm-hmm. Like the way that so I've been I'm I think I think what I think is that this exogenous shock was so obvious that we needed to battle it. And mm-hmm. nobody was gonna say, no, we can't do that. So like Ben is saying that in the next recession, politicians are going to act quickly because their base is going to pressure them. Why not? It worked last time. But I think that unless like one uh, party can really has control of both both sides, that there's not going to be the political like wherewithal to come together. Because I think that unless there's another one of these, God forbid, we can't even agree when we're in the middle of a recession if we're actually in a recession and the policy response, and that's appropriate. So how do you think this is going to affect future decisions?
1: I think it'll depend on the nature of the next shock. You know, who's at blame? What's the nature? I mean, one of the reasons I think the money worked so well last year is this is a supply shock. So it wasn't that you know people just didn't want to spend; it's so that they couldn't. So I think the prescription's a little bit clearer. When you're in a demand shock, like from a financial crisis, I think the right policies are less clear. So there's more scope for debate. I mean we probably won't be that thoughtful nuanced next time we'll probably we'll be like let's just I think everyone's going to want to be like let's throw money at everything because so it, it worked last time and uh, people like it politically it's always a winner
2: we we had this also once in a lifetime situation where the president mm-hmm. is a guy that like doesn't care about debt mm-hmm. and loves the idea of throwing money at problems like that's his entire life and so when democrats in the Senate and the House urgently wanted to do something that involved blasting money out He looked – the president at the time in a different party looked at it like, hey, you know what? I actually like this idea too and mobilize treasury. And like treasury, the Fed, and Congress all working together with the same goal, get checks out now. We'll figure out how to pay for it later. You may never see that again even if people want it.
1: And it was at every level, like corporations, government debt. Like it was just – everywhere and I think that and also I mean it'll be very different if suppose the next four or five years we have sustained inflation that makes that really cuts into real wages
0: so I wanted to ask you about this in terms of like what you learned getting your PhD mm-hmm. and monetary supply expanding and yes we are seeing inflation in areas that have been impacted um obviously used cars is a big one used cars and trucks. But what do you think the inflation ramifications are going to be six months from now? I guess like uh, that's up for debate, but what's your opinion?
1: Um, you know, I think, I don't think we're going to have like hyperinflation. I don't think inflation is going to be like 10%, but I think it's going to be higher than what we're used to. Um, and I think real wages could fall, in a slightly. And that so, would
0: be problematic.
1: Yeah. So people are going to feel hurt, and but it's not going to be as obvious as, oh my God, I don't know what things are going to cost at the grocery store tomorrow. And as I said, that could weigh on things. That also could increase interest rates, which might mean we can't afford to do these sorts of things in the future.
2: Nick Colas took the July CPI, from which came out yesterday. We're, we're taping on Thursday night. Took July CPI, pulled out used cars and energy. Mm-hmm. 2.3% headline, 2.5% core. Mm-hmm. It's not inflation. Yeah. Like it's not, I mean, that's not like mm-hmm. – so arguably it's transitory already. And then a lot of what could dictate the future path of that probably is shelter costs. Like our rent's, w- rent's going to keep going up. Our home prices yeah, going to keep up. Yeah, but we also up. see
1: wages going up. So wages right. don't go back down.
0: But let me let me ask you this.
2: But they don't expand at that same rate forever If
0: either, we're If we're right? seeing a lot of the wage gain at the lower end, and those are people that are pumping money into the economy, right? They're spending their mm-hmm. money. Isn't that a good thing? Like, shouldn't we want that? Obviously, nobody wants the potential inflation associated with that. But couldn't that be very good for the economy?
1: Could be. Um, you know, especially as I said, if they have more security, if as I said, they're um, and said, they're more financially secure, that's really good. But as I said, we just don't know. I mean, it could just sort of feed up the whole wage cycle, and we could if people if everyone's getting paid more, then you do have inflation. I think what makes inflation is expect- changes in expectations. So if people become convinced the idea that inflation's higher, it becomes self fulfilling.
2: Okay, what have you guys been doing on inflation lately? Exactly that. It's used yeah. car prices. I mean that's like such a huge component of it. Right. Why does anyone think that condition is going to persist past the summer? It's it's well, used use cars
0: it already stopped. Well, it's it stopped at least temporarily. They were up like zero point two percent after being up ten and a half percent the month prior.
2: Right, right.
3: So you know this this also relates to so University of Michigan. You know does that big gigantic sentiment survey and one of their sub like they have a sub component thing that where they compile um, sentiment towards. Consumer sentiment towards buying houses, durable goods, and I, I think cars are the third part of it, and basically there's this outrage over you know how expensive everything has gotten um, but these are all the things that you know I'm sure people there are some people who are urgently trying to buy this stuff because they they need it for work or they whatever but these are all things that you know can be delayed it's not like
0: well you know, l- unless your lease comes up like Josh's but
3: did. also you buy Sucker. but
2: also you buy it once. <laughs> If you buy a used car in 2021, you might rage at a at a at a survey how much you had to pay for it. You're just not buying one the next month, right? So it's hard to say that that one high price of a car that you bought affects your expectations about everything going forward. Right. Maybe it does, but I think for most people it probably doesn't. So right. I'm in camp transitory. I've been I've been for for a while. Uh, where where are you? Do you have, like, a strong opinion or not really?
1: I think it's going to be higher than it was before. I don't think it's going to be. As I said, I don't think it's going like, oh, to be more than 5%. It could get up to 3 or 4 though.
2: Isn't that what the Fed has been trying to do, though?
1: Yeah. Um, well, no. They I think they, w- they don't mind it being, like, 2.5%. They're like, our target is 2 and 25 and is good.
2: I just watched them spend 10 years promising inflation. Mm-hmm. Here here it is. Oh,
0: but- as we have an economist in the house. You, Allison. Uh-huh. Could we? Could you just school us on like the real impact of buying all the mortgage-backed securities? How that impacts the housing market, if at all?
1: Well, um, definitely. Like, it makes mortgages cheaper, right? Because you know it's less risky to lend.
0: So that's 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 long and the short of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it also probably makes lenders less sensitive to risk.
2: So it's undeniable then that. All of that activity that the Fed is was it forty billion dollars a month buying mortgage-backed securities? I think they're still doing it too. Yeah, still it's doing. it. It's undeniable that that's having an impact on prices.
1: Yeah, because I mean, what's a mortgage rate right now? Like two point nine percent. Still so low. Right. It's crazy that like our parents paid like nine percent or mortgage rate. Can you imagine? Or higher. I know. Um,
2: all right. So. So do you view that as like a settled argument? Like, yes, there is home price inflation and it is being driven by the Fed. And why are we making it more complicated than it has to be?
1: Well, there could be other factors. Well, too. Well, demographics. Yeah. I, think, I
0: think it's as much demographics yeah. as anything.
1: Yeah, I think uh, low mortgage rates are a huge part of it. But there's, you know, other aspects to it, like demographics demand. All there
0: right. are, what, 70 million people my age, like looking for houses for the first time. So that'll that'll have an impact.
2: How old are you? 36. There are 70 million of you. Or around around that age, yeah, I think that's right. I think the the most common age in America it's is like 35. thirty five or thirty five. Okay, um, you 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 wrote something, Allison, about universal basic wealth versus universal basic income, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like you put yourself at great Twitter risk <laughs> with a, with an opinion like mm-hmm. this. So I want you to defend it. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is you. The strange new policy idea coming from Silicon Valley is universal basic wealth. It's like universal basic income, except you get a pile of money once, twice, or several times to build your bank balance. And then you're talking about how it's being proposed by like Eric Schmidt from Google and Evan Spiegel from Snap. And they want the state of California to basically give people money, which automatically gets put into startups, (laughs) which I thought was funny. I didn't (laughs) read what they had to say. Um, But I don't hate the idea as much as you do. I do like the idea of if we want a level playing field, not level... All right, we can't give everybody the same outcome, but if we could give people – get people closer in terms of like where they're starting, Mm -hmm. isn't that a more fair world than what we have now where people born into wealth almost can never fall behind and people not born into wealth have a very difficult time catching up and most of them can't ever just because of compounding and other advantages. So why are you against this?
1: Well – I'm not – ai I also would like – Why are you
2: such a horrible person? <laughs> That's what I really want to know.
1: I, I also would like to level the play, playing field. I just wonder if this is the best way to do it because, like, I mean, just the just the details are so vague to me. It's like you're giving people a pile What's of – What's so
2: hard? Here. You own a startup. Every baby, every baby should be an angel investor. Every baby is an angel investor now, mm-hmm. and we pick the investments for them. And Eric Schmidt sits on the committee. No,
0: they get they go on angel list and uh, the the representatives select the most attractive. Well, Eric Schmidt investment. was
1: very clear. It goes through uh, VC professional wow. investors. Of course, it does. Yes, like, how could it not? These people who never lose money for anyone um, and get will these the be
2: playing two, paying two and twenty uh-huh. is the important thing.
1: <laughs> I'm sure.
2: Okay. Uh, so it's almost like the plot of a movie. It's obviously ludicrous, but the general idea of baby bonds.
1: Exactly.
0: Let me quote you. You said that seems suboptimal to, suboptimal to me. So many models of life cycle savings and public finance are exploding in my because head. Because
1: you're really putting a constraint on people. Like what you, you're you going to give people money and what you have to put terms in on when they can spend it. Otherwise you're just giving them like, like a transfer like we did last year.
0: What if there was like a credit card use it or lose it type thing? Mm-hmm. Like to your point.
1: What do you mean? Use it or lose it. Like
0: you, you spend this money in 90 days or it vanishes.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, what are you trying to achieve? Just get people to buy more stuff.
2: Yeah. Consume. Uh Uh-huh. That's what we do.
1: Okay. But where does that money come from?
2: Our kids. (laughs) Yeah. What's the problem? Grandkids. They're angel (laughs) (laughs) investors. They'll be fine. (laughs) Wait. So, all right. So you're saying that the idea is okay, but this doesn't, this this doesn't sound like it's actually going to work because there's a mismatch in timing.
1: Well, I'd I'd prefer to have policies that are more targeted, right? So there's no doubt about it. You have an advantage if you have parents who can pay for your education and can help you buy your first house, right? So why don't we just have policies that target those things for low-income people rather than giving people this pile of money and put all these strange restrictions on how and when they can spend it?
2: Wouldn't the counter to that be we've tried that, making everybody a homeowner, and that blew up? Um, Like, wouldn't the counter be, like, almost like, we have to just give people this wealth and then lock it up. Isn't that so worse that when po- they're old enough they can use it?
0: But isn't that worse politically? Like it's just more handouts for people that, whatever.
1: Well, they're all handouts.
0: Well, so maybe this is a good point to click on because when you said where does the money come from, mm-hmm. I think that we've learned that we have much more capacity to spend money than we thought.
1: Until we don't.
0: So, but wh- I guess the, that's that's like the ten trillion dollar question. Where mm. is that line?
1: Yeah. No one knows. And I mean, a lot of it depends on the global economy. I'm a little nervous that, you know, we kind of had that savings glut all those years where interest rates just trended down, 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 no matter how much we spent. But that was because we had a lot of foreign buyers of our debt. We don't so much anymore. Now we have the Fed buying our debt.
2: That's the only thing keeping the, the wheels on the, the bus, though.
0: <laughs> but so you've seen this chart of China and their foreign purchases of our bonds. And that's going down like a lot. And yeah. it has not impacted interest rates in any way, because shape or Fed form. Because the Fed
1: is buying all the debt. Right. Uh, what if inflation becomes an issue and they have to start can, sell, selling can, bonds instead of buying them?
0: Can we have inflation without interest rates rising? Like, is that, I'm, like, you're, you're a model person. Is that, would that break your brain?
1: Well, so an interest rate, a long term interest rate is composed of, you know, people's whatever, time preference of money, like how much they want to save in the future, their expectations of future rates, and a term premium, right? Which is current, their inflation expectations and the risk around inflation. So in, so if inflation goes up or people are worried fl- inflation is going to become more risky, in theory, bond prices should g- could go up. But those other components could go down, so it could moderate it. You never know.
0: And the other thing that you talk about in terms of where interest rates are is there's so many price-insensitive buyers. So maybe that just breaks some of the models that, you, that we all learned about.
1: Like, uh, like banks who are yeah. required to hold it. Yeah. I mean, effectively, I mean, this is what they call financial repression. It's like we're forcing banks to hold a lot of bonds, and then we're, the Fed's buying a lot of bonds, and that keeps rates low.
2: I think you were saying it was it you? you were saying like sixty percent of the people involved in the treasury market have are not they're not traders or expressing a view on where they think rates are going. They're like pensions and they have no choice. They have to take a certain amount of risk and that's mm-hmm. the only way to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess more in the UK where they're actually required to hold a lot of guilts. Right. Um, less so here, though. I mean, they're prob- probably a lot of pension funds aren't de-risking as much as they used to just because it's so expensive to do so.
2: Well, like, so you have these big pools of capital, like a pension, for example, where they hit their target already. The stock market has gone—the cre- stock market, like, just doubled off the low. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they would go back to treasuries. Yeah.
0: So this may be a non sequitur, but people talk about, like, lower rates forces people out onto the risk spectrum, which is, like, pretty much undeniable. But what's interesting is that the demand for fixed income is still massive, so bond ETFs added $17 billion in July, which was their 32nd month out of the last 33 with inflows. So no matter how low rates go, there is still demand for bonds. Well, also, stop. I
1: mean, we all do retirement target date funds. Right. I mean all these people are automatically a huge going supplier. to bonds. There's like trillions of dollars in there. Yeah, and it automatically puts people into bonds no matter what the prices are.
0: So trailing twelve month flows into fixed income, two hundred and ten billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money. Yeah,
2: so, so, effectively so target date is like 529 plans, 401k plans, um, all types of insurance products. They're not like, ooh, this rate looks juicy to me. <laughs> it's just automatic buying into that pool of assets regardless of the rate.
1: But it, it all makes me uncomfortable because it's all like something's like Argentinian about this, right? Like we're counting on rates staying low because of policy. Either the Fed – I mean because even if you look wait, at wait, it –
2: Wait, wait. That's provocative. Tell, um, us, tell us why it. it's Argentinian.
1: Well, I mean and keep
2: in mind, other than Sam, the rest of us in this room, John, I'm, me, Michael. I'm literally like quitting this. We right don't now. know anything. John John's family's <laughs> from Portugal and Michael and Michael and I haven't studied this stuff, so we don't know from Argentine stuff.
1: It's not that bad, but I mean roughly like you run up a lot don't of debt. do give me
2: that look. You know i you don't know shit about this, right? <laughs> It's no. uh, so Allison. Tell us.
1: You run up a lot of debt, and then you require people to buy it, which is even with target date funds, kind of the case because they're you know QDIA. Like you know, if you want to have, if you run a so a four hundred one k, and you want to have a default investment, which you're required to have, it has to have all these these qualities, and target date fund fits those qualities. So it's effectively, it's you know policy forcing us to buy more bonds.
3: Okay. So is this so- is this is this something that we could grow our way out of? I always hear people say, yeah. "Grow our
1: way out of it." Is, we, can. Is
0: that we, a, did. Yeah. we did. We did it after the World War II.
1: Yeah, it's possible.
2: We
0: inflated the debt away. We grew out of it. So because,
2: because GDP so is, you never you know, have to pay it to back. Pre- you mean it just shrinks as, sh- as a percentage of, of, the, of the, the, the size economy, of the economy? Yeah, because
1: yeah, you, you, as long as your growth rate has to be, you're okay. As your growth rate of the economy is bigger than the interest rate, right? So. Uh,
0: I get the fears over inflation because once you have it and once you've experienced it, you never forget it. Mm -hmm. And then once you have it, it's like obviously too late at that point to really fight it. So I get why people are so paranoid. But it just seems to me
2: like we're going to be okay. Well, Argentina required – Argentina was on the hook and they they required the kindness of strangers. (laughs) They needed other countries Mm -hmm. and the banks in other countries to buy their shit. We don't seem to need that. So Mike's earlier point about like China not being a big buyer of treasuries anymore, you know, a lot of people like politically would say, "Oh, we we owe China all this." They don't even want the debt debt anymore. They were using that for their FX. Well, they were also
1: monetizing their debt. They also, I mean, they they were more dependent on foreign countries than we were, but they were also said effectively requiring people to buy their own debt too. So the
2: so the so the Fed is monetizing the debt. Nobody seems to mind. Mm Both parties are benefiting because they don't have to make any hard choices. So both parties seem they to just be say behind yes to everything. Both
0: parties seem to be behind MMT. Like, is that is that? They just won't say it, or the Republicans definitely
2: won't say it. But that's how they're behaving.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, these things go on until they they stop. Though, I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't mean it's going to end in tears, but it's certainly a risk.
2: Stephanie Kelton was advising like the Biden campaign, I think. Really. I think maybe I, I think might so. have that wrong.
1: No, probably. But
2: it's, not, <laughs> but it's like it's the easiest answer on earth. You never have to make any tough choices no. or piss anybody but off. But the
1: thing is, it's like I don't know. It's never made sense to me because like the the Fed doesn't control the entire yield curve. They control the short end of the curve. There's the whole long end of the curve. And she seems to talk as if bonds are like just there's just one yield curve.
2: Well, she would not. That theory would not have have the popularity that that it has now if it were being proposed 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I
0: think what I find attractive about this idea is that you could We could spend more than we think, but we don't just spend to spend. Like we could say, if we're doing a giant infrastructure project, you go to the steel mills and whoever, just, what, like whatever it is and say, we're going to spend this amount of money. Is there capacity? Is spending this much money going to cause inflation? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a better way to frame the argument of how much money we could actually spend versus one side saying yes and the other side saying no. You,
3: you want an MMT guy? No, but I, I've listened to a couple of podcasts, but yeah, that, that seems to be, the argument, right? Like but how it, do
1: you measure that? How do you know what the capacity is? That's the thing. Like, inflation and interest rates, I mean, they're market variables. Like, they're unpredictable. But
0: at least you could talk to the producers and say, like, can we want to do X? Can you accommodate that?
1: Yeah, but like, that assumes that we do policy based on economic reasoning and not political ones. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I mean what, that's it. Once we go into that world, everything's better.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, that's a mic trap, Allison. You're right. So you don't have to believe in MMT because the people making decisions do even if they won't call it by its name. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that word five times because it's like the Candyman. Like it will appear. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> Colin Roche will appear behind me and, str- and strangle me. Are you
0: seeing the Candyman? Are you going to see the Candyman? No. I, I Too don't. scary? But I don't like scary But the movies. problem
1: is that this is, is it? I mean, I don't really fully understand MMT, but from what I understand, if you do have this, so right now interest rates are low largely because the Fed is buying a lot of bonds, right? What if we have inflation and they have to stop buying a lot of bonds? That's scary. So- MMT assumes we're just going to raise taxes in response to this high inflation environment. I mean, that's not really going to happen.
2: Histor- historically, that has not been a good answer but to But what if uh, interest inflation.
0: rates interest rates are low because economies are maturing and they're low around the globe
2: and they have been for much of the last 10 years before this?
1: But not before that. I mean, the economy was pretty that. mature in the 70s. That's, that,
2: that's what I wanted to ask you. What if it wasn't? Mm-hmm. Like Like what if it really wasn't? What if corporate America was dominated by companies with 5% profit margins – They were like smelting copper. Like these are the biggest companies in America. Um, The economy now is structured very differently. It's all about intellectual property, networking effects, businesses that are born scaled effectively. Mm -hmm. Like this is a very different economy. And maybe one of the reasons why interest rates are high throughout history is a lack of trust Mm -hmm. that you're going to get your money back as a lender and that gets eliminated by better technology. Look at all these- People are giving companies. Microsoft
0: Microsoft money for 2%. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, so like what if we're in a situation where you can lend at a lower interest rate with more confidence because you've got better data on where you're really taking risks and who's not going to pay you back? Isn't that, like, isn't it reasonable to think that technology is also driving a willingness on the part of creditors to lend at lower rates and therefore the natural- Interest rate would be lower anyway, regardless of what the Fed is doing or whatever.
1: That could be true. But I feel like every time we tell a story like that, (laughs) historically, then like something horrible happens. When
2: you read the S1, though, of these new lenders coming along, like whether they call themselves neobanks or whatever, fintech, like that is the premise of why their insurance product will be better, why their lending product will be better, because we're just smarter now. We have better technology. We know- Who's got a better chance of defaulting versus what we would have known ten years ago?
1: yeah, but didn't even ten years ago we said that about the ten years before and then the financial crisis well
2: and- I hope you're I hope you're wrong because that's the premise of about a trillion dollars in market cap right now because right. yeah, like, yeah. you
3: can never you can never be a hundred percent sure about anything and that, that was like why bar models and all that stuff broke down and the seemed to love so like cajillion. i
2: don't, I don't think it's lemonade There's another one of these fintech insurance startups that came public. They're basically saying we're hooked into somebody's phone. We're watching them drive around. We know what the speed limit is on the streets. The phone is telling us how close they are to the speed limit via GPS. You can't f-ing tell us that we're not smarter at pricing insurance for a motorist you, than know. we would have been 10 years ago. They don't ago. know a MAC
1: truck's not gonna drive out right into that car. I mean, that's fine, like-
2: but neither does the traditional insurance company. What they do know is who rolls through stop signs,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they even know who's looking at their phone cuz they're in your phone.
3: They they so even know if you're smoking like brisket in your backyard <laughs> now, right? That was one of the, Wait, that was what? another that was another one of these S1s for one of these um grill com- like there were these three three or four grill companies that, you know, filed paperwork oh, to go public. Smart grills? <laughs> yeah, smart
2: grills. Don't track my grill,
3: bro. But yeah. like but I, that, don't
2: want, I don't want a smart grill. That's a
3: thing now. Like some of these grills have chips in them so that they know like exactly like what kind of wood chip you're using to smoke, you know, and then what do what, they do with that?
2: Sell, sell you bags of that wood chip? I th- I'm, maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> they I auto-deliver mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just I, – I feel like it could be partially true, but I agree with you. If we all get too confident mm-hmm. that data is the answer to low prices, low rates forever, probably we'll, we'll end up taking more risk than we otherwise because would. Because
1: data is always inherently from the past used to protect the future. So it's always flawed.
2: I only use future data. <laughs> um, can we pivot to China? What do we do? What do we do with this mess? This is not going to get better. Like, let's start start with this. The relationship between China and the Western world, purely from a capitalism perspective, it's not going to get better, right?
1: No, and I'm surprised anyone's surprised.
2: Well, the market is not panicking about this. The Mm -hmm. stock market is not panicked about what seems to be a new iron curtain coming down, almost mutually agreed upon where we don't want their companies listed here anymore and they don't want their companies listing here anymore or complying with our listing. And now pretty much every deal is canceled. You're not going to see any new ones, mm-hmm. but there is – what was the what was the, the market cap amount in Chinese stocks? Do we get that information? Carry on. I'll get it for you in a second. Okay. So let me just read you this from uh, – I guess this is Wall Street Journal. Uh, Some market participants believe China is trying to direct capital and human resources away from internet companies into sectors that will help the country become more self-reliant. They are trying to reach a new equilibrium because it seems capital flows were not in line with long-term top-down priorities. So basically that's Beijing telling the stock market, I guess, don't invest in these companies anymore. We don't view them as being helpful to society. Invest in these companies Is that unprecedented or or do we see that around the world and we do it here too?
1: Not to the same extent. I mean, East Asian countries have always, you know, engaged in a lot more industrial policy than we have. Right. But in some ways, I feel like this is, you know, I don't think there's going to be a new Cold War. We're still going to trade with China. We have too much. Our economies are way too integrated to just completely decouple. Uh, On the other hand, you know, this actually I think is just bad for Chinese innovation. Innovation doesn't happen where you expect it does. Like, there could be some video game technology that someone creates in China that ends up having this profound impact on all our lives but all around. They don't around
2: want the world. it. Like, Ant is an offshoot of, of the online marketplace's mm-hmm. business. They needed a way to pay for goods that was seamless. And then you end up with the biggest fintech company in the world, and Beijing basically says, no IPO. We don't want foreign money invested in this thing. We don't want the data being shared, whatever. They don't seem to want innovation. They seem to want to grasp back. So they're never going to be
1: like a serious like economic leader. Okay. If you're not if you're not innovating, you're not a major like you can grow based on the size of you know the, your population and how much capital you throw at people, but you're never going to. is said you're never coming up with that intangible capital that this really is worse you, for
2: them than for us.
1: Yeah, I think like I think this for me really not that this was keeping me up nights because it doesn't really bother me if that were true either way, but like in terms of worrying that China was going to overtake us at least. In terms of per capita terms, I think we can worry a lot less about that.
0: All right, here we go. Check this out. So this chart is showing the green line is the MSCI China index. Obviously, you know, it's getting the shit kicked out of it. The pink line are U.S. domiciled, China-specific ETPs year to date. These are the flows.
2: ETPs are exchange-traded funds. Right.
0: So, right. so people are going, investors are going nuts. They're not relenting. They're, and buy- they're buying. They're buying. John, we have a few other charts here.
1: That's cumulative flows to China. Yep,
0: okay. China specific. So this next one, this is as of the end of July, and these things were crashing then. So look at K Web, the flows into this Chinese technology stocks are going
2: gangbusters. This is as prices are crashing. What if this is just automated rebalancing trades? That's not. That's not on. Look at that, dude. That's a, that, that's that's the, vertical. Right. The purple line is K Web. That's vertical. That's our friend Brendan's uh, China internet ETF. Let's put that one aside. But look at FXI too. That's 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 that, nothing. That could be rebalancing. That's a, that's Chinese companies trading on the London exchange, like Chinese blue chips, Hong Kong. These co- are foreign investors? No, these are, this these is are, US. These are US products that US dollars are going into. And we've got
0: one more cool chart. This is all from iShares, by the way. I'll throw this up on the blog. All right, so what you're showing here is, let's look at the left-hand side. So emerging market mutual funds are $800 billion. The China-specific ones are tiny, which is super interesting because China is like a third. So I guess people are getting all their exposure to China through the indexes and they're not allocating specifically to China in in a big, big, big way.
2: People are all right. US investors are buying the asset class emerging markets. They're not bulled up specifically on China to begin with. Right. Okay. So they're getting so they're getting a lot of what? South Korea? Like what are they getting in this in these products if it's not China specific?
0: No, 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 no. What China-specific is, you see the red and yellow on the bottom? That's people that are allocating specifically to Chinese ETFs. So K-Web is in that column. So the the purple line shows overall it's 4% of AUM, of of emerging market assets. 4% is in China specifically.
2: Here's the problem if you're a U.S. investor then. You have this diversified portfolio. You own ETFs. You have foreign stock exposure. A lot of it is China. China's 10% of the all-country world index, XUS, us right? Yep. It's like a lot. It's big. It's bigger than – is it bigger than every country in Europe individually?
0: Oh, yeah. The only one that's bigger is Japan.
1: Maybe but. I should be rebalancing.
2: Yeah, maybe rebalance. <laughs> so then the question is a lot like – emerging
1: markets. Well, yeah. I
2: mean, is there is there – I mean,
3: we're, we're all speaking here like this is over.
2: I think it's just starting. I mean, well, well,
3: like, like over, I'm not over, in that, over, like over radical. in that, like, it's time to get out of China. Like, well, it, it, th- it might, it's not like some kind of faint where this could be a great buying you know, opportunity. It no, could, it's risky. Like, could it I be? think
1: it's super risky. Like, it doesn't mean it's going to go badly, but like, there's more risk around it.
2: There's trillion. There's like a trillion dollars in U.S. Not just individual investors, but like every major asset management firm has money in China, and they are like saying publicly they don't like the uh, structure. Of these things going public as shell companies in the Caymans, and then listing a ticker and saying it's representative of Alibaba or all the other, you know, there's fifty other. So Tencent went, of Tencent
0: that. went from one hundred to fifty five. Uh, Baidu went from let's see, three fifty five to one sixty. Yeah. So these things are all cut in half and worse, or a lot of them. So how
3: is this like? I'm, I'm trying to understand like what the difference is between this versus what they teach you in. Emerging markets investing 101. Like the, fir- like the first day, the first- Geopolitics. Of yeah, geo- po- geopolitics and regulatory risk. Yeah. So- So here it
2: is. Well, so, so if we yeah. believe that
0: risk and reward are tied, like this is what it is to invest in emerging markets. This right. It's part of
2: it. The problem is though, you've had no reward. That's true. In the, in, the last, in the last 15 years, emerging markets have sucked. It's been a minute. As an asset class. So it looks like if you're just looking at trailing performance, you're taking all the risk with no premium return for it. Why would you, you know, it's, so maybe that's the opportunity and maybe that's why all that money is flooding into the products. So I don't know. And I think
1: also China in terms of geopolitical risk is larger because like if you're a smaller country, there's only so many crazy things you can do.
2: And there's Mm -hmm. not enough stocks for people to buy a lot of. Yeah. So, so this is different.
1: Yeah. Because it's the sheer size of it.
2: This is like, this is massive. So I'm, I'm surprised that it's, it hasn't been like a shock systemically. To just investors generally who are watching this go on, and they don't know what's going to come next.
1: It's amazing, you know, especially the way people have been talking about China over the last like ten years. Like, remember when people used to always say their currency become could become the global reserve currency? I I was just like, this sets that back, right? I don't know why anyone ever believed it to begin with. It's always going to be manipulated. You okay. can't have a global currency. I mean, I guess you could talk not like, about like
2: not like what we do. No, here,
1: no, though. no, 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 because it's a pure <laughs> price. It's a pure market price. <laughs> it,
2: it's it's all <laughs> manipulated. It's 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 how out loud are you manipulating, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're a little bit less obvious.
2: All right, so your conclusion is strong buy Chinese equities, Allison. <laughs> just to be clear,
0: hey Sam, are you getting a Dow thirty six thousand hat by the way?
3: Uh, I've already got one uh, stitched and it's sitting, uh, uh,
2: you know, somewhere. How far away? At a boy
0: thirty
2: We should get those all time highs. We, we got to get those ne- on the show uh,
0: next week. We don't have much time. We do not have much time.
2: All right, let's pivot. Let's get into this social aspect of physically going to work. Sam, this is you. Uh, Yeah, I I toss that in
3: kind of last minute. I mean, it seems... I agree with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, so this is um, uh, a new uh, survey from ADP came out and, you know, it it basically reveals a lot of, you know, I think what people have already suspected that there are certain components of being in an office that um, people find advantageous, like whether it's, you know, talking to the boss or, you know, those sort of... uh, You know, random moments where you're brainstorming with someone and someone comes up with a great idea. Um, But I think something that, you know, isn't getting talked about enough is is actually just that social component of like, you know, maybe we're not talking about work, but we're going to talk about movies. And it turns out that we like the same movies. We're going to go see a movie. It's team building. Yeah. You like the people that you work
2: with. Right. And like, you know. On the, hey, on the plus side, sexual harassment, way down. Wait, yeah, I mean <laughs> – It's hard, It's really hard to do that on Slack, it turns out. Right, yeah. I
3: mean, you know, and just – but, like, just to sort of spin that a little bit too, but, like, think about how many people, like,
2: met their spouses through work or through- My parents. You know I shouldn't even be alive? My parents met in the 1970s at Burlington. Uh, not the Code Factory, but it was, like, a garment center company. Like, they made fabric. It was very high tech. So, like, my mom was my dad's secretary – I would, like my parents would be arrested now, right? <laughs> if they if they like tried to get married that way, so I don't know where I'm going with that. But, it's I mean, very dark. I, th- I think the message the messages. You feel me on that though? Yeah not not everyone is sexually harassing
3: each other. Like some people are. Uh, Just most
2: people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on Twitter, so not, most not, people. Not
3: not to sort of you know downplay that, but I'm trying to play up like you know these actual normal relationships that 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 people form. Right. Um, in work. And, you know.
0: For people under 30, I think it's very difficult to climb the ladder without being in the office. I don't even know how you accomplish that.
1: Yeah, because you need some senior person to really invest in you. Right. Yes. To recognize,
2: like, your work. And,
1: like, I know I got ahead various points in my career where some senior person, like, took a bet on me that I didn't deserve.
2: Right. right. And that and that person is Gene Fama. <laughs> Nobel laureate. Right. Am I lying? No, no, no. No, it was more Merton. but uh, Merton? Yeah. Okay. Did he win a Nobel? Yeah. OK, so good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Good enough.
1: But um, but yeah, I mean, how are you going to get that senior person to invest in you if they've never met you?
2: Right. Because that, that all
3: involves trust, too. Right. And beers. Like, and, and beers. That's yeah. the only yeah. way that you no, build that totally, trust. Right. E- exactly. Like, you know, that's you know, this is what you get when you interview people for jobs. Right. It's like someone could be amazing on paper and have a 4.0 and like, you know, understands everything about your, your subject. And, area. Then,
0: and then you meet them. They're a close talker.
3: Right, and then, and yeah, they become a close target, in which case, you know, working from home is actually a great situation. You know why this is
2: so true? Every business book you read about, like, CEOs who built great companies, like, their uh, superhero origin story is always the f***ing mailroom, yep. and they were sweeping up late one night, and somebody said, hey, come have a drink with me, or they were bringing somebody coffee. Like, that's everybody's story of how they gained a, the first rung of the ladder. Yep. How does that take place... If 75% of office workers are not showing up for prolonged periods of time, think about how many missed opportunities for careers that we're not even thinking about the impact of that. But
0: so what if it's not one one extreme versus the other? Like I'm in one day a week and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of companies that are in three days a week. Like I don't think it's gonna be necessarily all or nothing because you need that face-to-face activity.
2: Yeah, but so, so so refute that a little bit. Like I come in the same day as you. Alex is here, Cameron's here, Dylan's here. I'm like, you know, high five from across the room. We're not like really working together, right? Right. And it's, it kind of sucks. Yeah, I, I wish it were otherwise, but um.
3: But I mean, it's it's definitely sort of you know on a scale, it's on a spectrum, right? Because there's people who you know aren't going to go back to the office for months because they can work from home. I mean, that's very different. From go- going in-
2: Google's employees agreed to a pay cut if they could stay home. Oh my god! Yeah. Would would other companies offer that choice, and what would the results be? Probably the same, which is not maybe not great. Maybe uh, I don't know. It's, it's qu- too
1: hard to have a good culture. <laughs> I mean, Google's culture. Is I already- don't know what
2: I don't know what I don't know what my employees would say, but most of them are remote anyway, so it's a little bit different. Are
1: they still gonna give you such good food and games if everyone's working from home? That's
3: a good question. As I, I say, mean, what's
2: Bloomberg's uh, snack cabinet like these well, days? Well, that's isn't that that that's hilarious,
3: right? It's like not only are they paying their employees less, but now they don't have to uh, pay for that commercial office space. They don't have to come, pay for
2: food, and that's right where better. productivity comes from. There you go.
3: And so. then net profit
2: margins explode. All right, I threw this in at the last minute, uh, and then we'll move on to soapbox. Uh, ben and Jen are going to buy an eighty-five million dollar house in Beverly Hills. I was just blown away by the pictures of this house. John, what do we have on this?
1: Already they're committing to a house together?
2: They started dating two weeks ago, so it makes perfect sense. They, <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to do it, but this is the house they're looking at. Yeah, what is it's title insurance on that thing? What do you do with an $85 million house? They're not, they don't have, like, young kids they're raising. Mm-hmm. I, like what? Who's, Man, that's sick. Is this the sickest thing you've ever seen? Good grief. Wait, slow down. That looks like a motel. Those are all guest rooms. <laughs> so... So
1: I like how their relationship habits are the same as they were twenty years ago.
2: Like yeah, right. total, very subtle now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they learned a lot from that first round twenty. Years I could ago. I could relate to that. Yeah, dude, that is like one of the most beautiful houses I've ever seen. I mean, you know, when you have that much property, you get. Price, oh my right? god! Look at this. That's uh, that's the foyer when you first walk in. Oh my god! And Affleck's just passed out on that couch. <laughs> He's playing poker till four in the morning. I'll
1: look at that Jen's bar. Jen's doing his
2: laundry. Uh, that's the bar. God, there's cocaine on the coffee table. This is where this is where J Lo just likes to kick back and uh, answer fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I guess. What do you think it costs to run a house that's eighty five million dollars? And that's the scale of what we just looked at. If you had to like think about taxes, insurance, security, maintenance, house at least a million, right?
1: Way more a year. Way more. Yeah.
2: Staffing alone, way more. You can't have no staff there. So. Uh, to your point, it's it's nice that they're they're uh, taking things down. They've a never notch. been
1: a low key couple.
2: No, that's gonna that's gonna go well. By the way, all right, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I want to do there. All right, we're we'll gonna go to soapbox. I want Michael to go first because he's gonna talk about uh, infrastructure. You know, I'm I an, think I agree with you. I, I'm an idiot.
0: I put this article in the doc and I forgot to read it. <laughs> but I think I think people. <laughs> I don't think people are paying enough attention to infrastructure. You, yourself included. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, ironic. But what I mean, how much money are we spending now?
2: We don't know
1: yet. A trillion, maybe a three point five trillion more.
0: But uh, we're we're gonna actually get something for this. No like way. Maybe maybe pay for roads and like good,
2: good some, some this, good. This is some not good plumbing. Get, wait, This is not getting out of the house hmm? the the what way it's currently drafted, right? Uh-oh.
1: The one trillion or the three point five trillion.
2: Pelosi's gonna want to add add another two trillion on, and then add all these tax tax hikes to quote unquote pay for it. It's not ever gonna happen, right? I don't know. <laughs> you look exhausted just I mean, thinking
1: about it. I, I, I get it wasn't like as well as like I don't quite understand all this political stuff, but it's like the $1 trillion might pass, but then the Democrats are going to do the three point five through reconciliation, which yes. means the Republicans don't need to participate. Yes. So now they're, they're, it's like they're not acting in good faith. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, why do you think we need to pay more attention to it? Because of how much money or because of what its impact could be on the market? Or do I'm we not, need more roads? No,
0: I'm just talking about like fixing our shit. It's been a long, long, long time that we've been having this conversation. Why aren't we investing in our country? Bridges, tunnels, roads, whatever, like high-speed rail, all that sort of stuff. Like, let's go. Why not now?
2: Well, if you could borrow money at these rates, which they are, what would be a better use for it?
0: And Allison has already promised us that rates aren't going up. So like, why not now?
1: I guess it depends on how well we spend it. You know, are we going to build bridges? Let's assume we
2: waste half of it. Isn't the other half money well spent?
1: I guess the plan for uh, the rails isn't to give us high-speed rail. I think it's just to make Amtrak nicer.
2: So Uh, I'm uh, I'm down for that. I'll I'll
0: take it.
1: And also, I don't know if you read, circling around Twitter, so we know it's credible, that (laughs) if you want to build a good rail, you need to bring in foreigners because they know how to build rail better than we uh, do.
2: That's a deal breaker for half the country.
1: Well, it's also a deal breaker with the bill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's so that so that doesn't sound like it's stimulating the American worker to me.
1: Well, yeah, the bill has all the Buy America provisions in it, so you can't do it anyway. Do
2: you do you see a lot of uh, do you see a lot of research that infrastructure is priced into stocks yet, or it's not priced in? Um, What's I the saw, consensus? I,
3: you know, every I don't know. Maybe Michael, you can. Talk about this too, but every time something makes progress, you see industrials and materials like tick higher a little bit. They made all time highs they, they uh, looks, today, they right? looks so
0: good. Yeah. Although I did see one strategist say that it is not priced into stock. So, uh, well, there,
2: there you go. go. Oh, he's the Maverick. The XLI, the industrial spider, sector spider, new all time high today. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, every time you
3: hear about stuff like this, uh, oh, look you, at all color. You, you wonder, you wonder, like,
2: guys,
0: I mean, <laughs> Alcoa looks... Does this tell you that we're going gonna to need, we're start to build? We're going to build. They
3: need to put Alcoa back into the dial.
0: Great call. Somebody once joked... This, this might this, do it. Somebody <laughs> once joked that Alcoa was the Iowa caucus of earnings. Remember they used to go first?
2: Yeah, yeah. They were the first because they were double A, and they missed every time. <laughs> like the worst business on earth. That stock is on fire. Um, all right. Uh, soapbox. Let me go. I've been to many outdoor parties this summer because of how popular I am. And people... Seem to repeatedly make the same mistake. They're putting out cheese plates in August. It's a hundred degrees. They go to like Whole Foods. They buy nine types of cheeses. They probably spend like a lot of money. No one's touching it because within five minutes, it's all sweating. It, like it all. <laughs> That's such uh, a great wet. observation. Cheese sweats. Cheese sweats. It's disgusting outside <laughs> in the sun. What you wouldn't put oysters in the sun and let them sit there for four hours and wonder why no one's eating them. So I, what would you do instead of Sam? You're probably the best person to answer this, because um, you know, like me, like you have good taste in in food. What should people be doing with these plates if they're not putting cheese on it? What could sit in the sun that would be like a good substitution?
3: I mean, I'm guessing soft cheeses probably don't sweat as much as like hard cheeses.
2: But people yeah, love cheddar cheddar, people looks love like it, cheddar looks <laughs> like cheddar uh, looks like Patrick Ewing at the, at the foul line. At the foul line, <laughs> cheddar cheddar is a bad choice. All right, so it's less noticeable if you do camembert. Bread. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. C-
3: yeah, something like that. Cuz they're born the sweating. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the consistency is already but if, mush. But if if no one's
3: if no one's eating the cheese, then yeah, if it, it, I mean, No, but no,
2: like, I'm already solving this for you. Nobody is.
3: Yes. Yeah, within so, 5 minutes. What about a you giant know, what about it, a giant bowl of ramen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well that that's I guess that's what it
2: really comes down to like, you know, what do the people want? You know, did this? I like ramen. Uh, Chris Venn did this. Yeah, I, this I, week. I knew where you were going with that. No, I didn't mean to like just blow him up because I've seen this all summer. Yeah, they're just throwing out pounds of cheese. Don't put it outside. Yeah, right. It's so, great, it's a great right. I wanted to get, I, I really wanted to get that off my chest. It's Been bothering me. I feel like uh, how how little common sense do people have? Sorry, Chris. Allison, uh, what's on your mind? <laughs>
1: um, I guess I haven't Is been it him. Cheese related? No, it's not that good. All right, uh, not nearly as important. Um. I guess I haven't been here in a while. I guess it's what I've learned this year is my new cause is that we need more both financial and risk literacy.
2: Okay. Who do you want to deliver that? Elementary school teachers?
1: Every level of education, it should be in there.
2: Okay. We have to start with the educators then. Yeah. Because I don't think they're particularly financially literate from no, what I've seen in my it, career. But it's also
1: shocking how poorly people understand probabilities.
2: What should we be teaching people? Not stocks. What should we really be teaching them? Like Like basic... S- saving or personal finance, or how to write
1: compounding a things okay. like that. Yeah, also credit. How come we, lo-
0: we learn how to s- like sew a stuffed bear, but we don't learn like basic financial literacy?
1: I don't know. You know, and financial it's literacy, to teach the bear has gotten a bad rap, partially because bad financial literacy is ineffective. So people look at those studies and say it doesn't work. Also, just like a general culture, people are, are sort of skeptical of personal responsibility. So people, What see- if I, what if I told f- you
2: there's an explosion in financial literacy being taught, but it's on TikTok? And as stupid as that sounds, it's not that terrible. Like when you get into one of these and you're, you're on TikTok a lot like I am. Yeah, some of it's good. Some of it's horrific, but some of it's really good. Yeah, like it's like well-meaning people like really explaining. But the I compound.
0: think we, we need it before people are 21 years old.
2: Yeah, well, TikTok I mean, is when they're ten. And they, they eat.
3: Uh, okay. TikTok is like. The, hey, I, I think that the challenge, the challenge with getting you know kids into this is like getting them to understand what's at stake. Because I remember learning about financial literacy in seventh grade, and some guy from the bank came in and told told us <laughs> the that, ba- the yeah, bank. Yeah, it was literally a guy from the bank. It was like I forget. It was like PNC. Somebody's had dad. Like, yeah, it was someone's dad, and like they had a book. It was like coloring book and all this stuff, but like. This was the introduction to. Wait, they
2: brought you a coloring book in seventh
3: grade? I I, I forget there was it was there were pictures <laughs> on it. I remember very clearly, but you know he was in here explaining to us compound interest, right. and he was telling us if you put a dollar in the bank, at the end of the year you're gonna get a dollar five back, and that doesn't mean shit yeah. to
2: a seventh grader. It's like you're gonna lose five cents on your way to the bus stop. I think these kids are learning more than we think. Um, my kids are learning financial literacy, but via uh, V Bucks, which is the currency on Fortnite. My yeah. kid knows what to do with his money mm-hmm. and how to expand it in the game. He's doing trades. Like, he's learning financial literacy in a way that he would never listen to me if I tried to teach him. So, when he asked me for money for V Bucks, I actually mind it less than I thought I would because I know that he's like being smart with his. Virtual. I mean, virtual I mean if, if
3: anything, you know, growing up, you know, something that you did learn a lot from was trading baseball cards. Right? Yes. And then you get the Beckett. They're
2: doing that, too, now. Yeah,
3: they're yeah. doing that. Yeah, it's crazy right now. But uh, but yeah, you, you would trade baseball cards. You'd think you'd, like... Get value, and then two months later, you get the new Beckett,
2: and then you realize if you're up or down in value. Well, they better get really smart because their younger siblings are all going to be fucking venture capitalists from the moment they're born. <laughs> so they better, they better, they better catch up now. But what about? So what about like all these people who've
3: opened up Robinhood accounts and are learning with actual
2: money? They're learning all the wrong things. They'll learn the right things eventually, but they're learning options trading. But what? Yeah, that, that's like true. Like, I just read
1: about someone who lost a million dollars options trading. Like, I mean, I think it's fine if people are doing this with a small amount of money, getting most more engaged of them with are. investing. That's
2: why it's not a catastrophe.
1: Yeah, like, if you're learning, if you're becoming more engaged with stock investing in general and it's a little bit of money on the line, like, I think that could be good. It's just, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people who've never invested before who are doing it, and I'm like, it's great, but just have most of your money in index funds. Yeah.
2: Right, and then they like earn eighty percent in an options trade, and they're like, "What is that crazy lady telling me? Yeah. <laughs> what is she talking about?" Uh, that'll change. All right, uh, did we do? do we do? We Wait, got through them all. Sam, you have anything? Yeah. Sam, oh, what do you got? Yeah. So this is
3: continuation of what I talked about last time, but cyber risk and cybersecurity, and I think this is a hilarious story. This um, forgot it was this DeFi platform where. Hackers stole like six hundred million dollars worth of the numbers. Don't even s- seem
2: real anymore. It doesn't. Well, that's I mean, like more money than anyone will ever see in their life. But I
3: think so that that's kind of speaks to you know the magnitude of why cyber cyber risk is so scary, right? Like robbing a bank, you can't run out with six hundred. Like a couple yeah. of guys can't leave a bank with six hundred million dollars, right? Um, You're lucky so, if there's six million dollars in a bank, right? Okay. So and so you apply this to anything, whether it's you know infrastructure or. Logistics, oil, energy, all this stuff. It's like, this is still incredibly scary. And it's like, this stuff happens so frequently that we're not even paying attention to this. Like, I didn't
2: even hear about this story. If there, I think you're right. I saw the sounds like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, because, like, if you think about like the big, like, heists throughout history, like the Lufthansa heist was, I think, $13 million. Yeah. It was like global news. For a decade, yeah, this is like $600 million and everyone's like, oh, yeah. yeah they, they made movies out of it. They made movies out of it. And you're you're exactly if, right.
3: I don't know if you remember, but there was um, uh, some congressional hearing a couple of months ago and they had all the bank CEOs. And, you know, I forgot they were talking about – I don't know what they were talking about. But at one point, one of the the congressmen or whatever asked each of them, you know, what's the risk that keeps you up at night? And every single one of them, except for Jamie Dimon, you know, said cyber risk, cyber security.
2: What did did Dimon say? Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, he he said politics. He said
3: U.S. policy. Okay. Um, But you just wonder what these people are exposed to in terms of like their risk meetings that, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, the things that scares them the most is cyber risk.
2: There's a great rom-com where like Jamie Dimon and Elizabeth Warren are like en route to like something in Washington, D.C. And like the plane goes down. (laughs) And they end up on an island for the next ten years, and like they become friends. I feel like that's probably not going to ever happen.
3: They find out that they've been arguing the same
2: thing the entire time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. was
0: like the plot of the movie with Harrison Ford and Anne Hish. She
2: takes she takes <laughs> off the, that happened. she takes off the glasses, and he's like, "Oh, you're like a different person now." Um, all right, let's go to favorites, and then we'll get out of here. You guys, you guys had a lot of fun today so far.
1: Yeah. yeah. All great. right.
2: So uh, I threw mine in Suicide Squad on HBO Max. Which Alice, I know, is your new favorite movie. I thought that was uh, so much fun. Did you watch
1: it? No. Did you Should
2: watch I? Marvel movies? No. So you're not gonna like it then. But this is not Marvel. This was violent. It's the guy that makes the Guardians of the Galaxy movies.
1: I've heard it's great. Uh. It's, great. Uh. it's actually. I was hearing a review of it that made me want to watch it. It Shh.
2: was. It was pure fun, right? I fast, loved fast it. Fast
0: paced, violent. It funny. was so
2: different than what I expected, because all the uh, DC comics Suck. movies are just garbagey. Yeah. This Sam, you would like, Sam,
0: you would like this. I I loved
3: Guardians of the Galaxy.
2: So James Gunn, is who I guess, Time Warner pulled over to do to work on this movie in particular. He got 100% creative control. He said, "I need an R rating. I need to be able to kill as many characters as I want. I need to pick all the music." And they just gave him the keys because those Guardians movies are billion dollar movies. Yeah, and they, he crushed it. He crushed it and he had a great cast. He had Idris Elba and he had uh what's the blonde girl's name? That's really good. Margot
0: Robbie. Margot Robbie. John Robbie. Cena was funny.
2: John Cena. He had like I don't I just I, I if you don't like comic book movies, this shouldn't stop you from watching The Suicide Squad on HBO Max. I'll tell
3: you something really personal. The last last time I cried at a movie and this was probably the
2: first time Suicide I cried Suicide Squad one. <laughs> no,
3: the end of the the first Guardians of the Galaxy.
2: Come cried. On. Wait, yeah. How did it end? You don't remember uh, her? Yeah. With higher he, interest he, rates? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was <laughs> it's yeah. like 12%. It <laughs> about, teer, he, they the they, they raised, yeah,
3: they, they, they hiked, the, the dot plot moved up. Oh,
2: I remember how it, and the tree yeah. like, made himself into a ball and saved them, but he died. No, 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 no. The, the one where he opens that gift from his mother. Yeah, that's sad. And then you yeah.
3: know, it, it turns out it was another tape. Oh, uh, like, shit. Now I'm crying. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Hmm. Um. I I thought those were the best two of all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Like easily, the two Guardians of the Galaxy And I wasn't movies. expecting anything of because I never, I never really paid attention to those comic books. Um, I don't even know what the Suicide Squad thing was until they made the first one, but it was the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah. So they basically gave this guy a ton of money and leeway. They said and fix he, this. He saved it. Yeah, it was great. Was so, great. Uh, all right, Mike, what do you got?
0: There's a new documentary series on Netflix called Untold. It's about the malice at the palace when Ron Artest and Steven Jackson oh, went into the, fan, into the yeah. stands and I remember watching that live on TNT yeah. in college. And
2: what is what is it called? It's called it's, it's, untold. It's, it's called series? untold.
0: So Jermaine O'Neill produced it, and there is a lot of of uh, footage that was not released uh-huh. uh, that is now going to be made public. And I'm halfway through the first episode. I can't wait to finish it. It's great.
2: I mean, they were like throwing punches. It was cr- yeah. yeah. So, so there was there, hangs- there was
0: one there was one punch that Jermaine O'Neal. Thank God he slipped on yeah. liquid on the floor. Otherwise, he that. would have killed the person.
2: Yeah, that
3: that Pistons guy came onto the court. Yeah. Yeah, and like went like this yeah. to Jermaine
0: O'Neal, and Jermaine O'Neal just came he was sliding, running, and, yeah. he's, and he's he slipped. Ron
2: Ortiz had to change his name shortly after that like, because his name his name was basically as toxic as an athlete's name but that was be. a
0: huge deal for the NBA yeah. like that was a very very big deal at the time
2: uh, wh- where is that where do you watch that Netflix Netflix oh we'll check that out Allison what do you got
1: so this is gonna be a little different and I'm not even sure it's good but it's been bothering me a lot is uh, the bold She's in August <laughs> <Yeah. that's on. laughs> the, the TV equivalent um, so it's the bold type it's a show on Freeform about young women working at a magazine mm. and I'm obsessed with the show i just watched the final season um because i can't tell what i'm watching i can't tell if it's (laughs) earnest or i can't tell if it's a cautionary tale of how uh socially conscious millennials hasten the demise of print journalism told from the point of view of an unreliable narrator wait Uh,
2: is it reality or
1: it's no it's a it's it's a a series it's a series so it's written it's written And, and you can't tell if these girls really mean this or if we're supposed to be watching as i said from an unreliable narrator how um sort of young people who are very socially conscious have hastened the demise of print media. It's not clear. they
2: can't even put a pretty woman on the cover anymore without being in a fight over what is beauty.
1: Yeah, and the girls are like, anyway, they're at a fashion magazine and insist on writing about politics because this is what readers need to hear.
2: Although, like, during the Trump years, what Teen Vogue was like...
1: This is I think- like
2: Che Guevara writing yeah. that writing that magazine. I think
1: it's sort of like based on Teen Vogue, but it's earnest. It's like they were doing the right thing, but you can't tell if you're supposed to as a watcher feel that way or supposed to be like these girls are crazy. Nothing
2: says you're doing the right thing like the audience completely disappearing. Yeah. Like the readers of the magazine just completely going away. Well, then you know you're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, they complain. Like, I, I'm sort of mentally writing fan fiction as I watch it about the meetings that happen when the girls are in the room because <laughs> <laughs> they kind of hint at things like, well, the readership is down.
2: Yeah. No shit it is. Maybe, maybe because we're doing tax debates uh, in, 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 in the fashion magazine. Uh, all right. We'll check that out. Sam, what do you
3: got? Um, I wasn't really prepared for this, but off the top of my head, I'm watching White Lotus. Like oh, everybody that's great. else, So good. So good.
2: We could oh good. I could do an hour with you on this. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's. I, I think it's like the best show of the summer. It's did, incredible. Did you
0: pick up on Uncle Rico?
2: I did pick up. Yeah, really early. Yeah. I, I, I had no idea that who smile. it was. Yeah.
0: I've missed this. The guy with Stifler's mom
1: uh-huh.
0: is Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite.
2: With the, the football <gasps> uncle. Yeah. Oh,
1: you're right. <laughs> oh, the show gets better and better.
2: It's it's so great. And I'm dying to know how it ends. And maybe if you are listening to this podcast you already know. Uh, but it's this Sunday. So yeah, can't you wait. got a prediction? Um no. no, I, no I have, spoilers, I'm, com- but
3: I'm completely
2: lost. Like who's like who's dead?
1: Steve is on. Because he's uh, been we've been foreshadowing it the whole time. Sorry.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh i think the, i think the man i think the manager i think oh I, no I, I would, but I, why would he leave think... his
1: body be flown to california or back to america
2: exactly, oh, exactly. no <laughs> i don't know that's that's actually a very think, good point I, I think the but wait there's he could because the what's the douchebag uh with the cornell hat what's he's so name? good oh, what's his name I can't he looks changed. For- yeah, the they from- show him like forlorn, watching this body be taken off the plane in the first episode. Right. So I feel like it has to be related to him, and we're all supposed to assume it's the fiance maybe or it's, it's the not. wife, oh maybe the mom. Yeah. Oh, see how smart
1: you are, Molly. Why a
2: PhD, and I'm not. <laughs> Who do you think it is? You got to? I have no I have no clues, no views. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully it's not. I, yeah.
1: Hopefully I, I,
3: it's not one thinking, of the kids. I was <laughs> thinking that it could be the the you know the hotel manager, but it almost feels like. That would be too, like, generous to him. Like,
2: he's probably, I feel he, like he doesn't deserve but, a quick death. I, I feel like he's maybe the most tortured of all of them. I hope they don't kill one of the kids. That, that always turns me off. So, yeah. and on that note, all right. <laughs> <laughs> see? Hey, uh, John, you did a great job. How do you feel? Feeling great. We don't need Duncan anymore, right? Get rid of that guy. It's me <laughs> and you from now on, my friend. No. Productivity. Productivity. <laughs> Bang. Five would turn against me. Bang! All right, and Duncan's in North Carolina planning his uh, forthcoming nuptials, his wedding in English. So uh, we'll s- we'll see Duncan again next week. John, you crushed it. Good job this. Uh, good job this week. I want to thank Allison. Allison, where do we want people to follow you? The known unknowns mm-hmm. is probably where it's like the where everything is linked to that you do right. Yeah. Like, okay. So they can. What's the What's the URL on that?
1: Uh, I think it's a substack, known unknowns. Known
2: unknowns dot substack. All right. Yeah. Pe- people will be able to find it. And Sam, you're the Axios markets letter. You're the the middle of the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Just
3: go to axios.com and you'll find me on one of the drop downs. Axios.com
2: slash markets, I think.
3: Axios.com slash markets. That's uh, right. I, I should know that. But you, you can, can also where they could it's, subscribe it's, to it's, you. It's,
2: it's all linked on uh, my Twitter page. But no. also I was gonna say People should follow you on Instagram and on Twitter because you're funny. You're smart. You put up. You have awesome stuff. (laughs) You
0: put up a TikTok that I said to my friend this morning that killed me. The guy who thinks he's going into his door, but he goes down to the stairs.
2: stairs? (laughs) Where You put that on TikTok or that was someone's TikTok? It was was someone's TikTok and I did it. it Oh, my God. And then you put it on Instagram. Yeah. I I was smuggling TikToks into Instagram for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's my thing. He's my only window. I do it for the the people. He's my
0: only window into TikTok.
2: All right. So we're all going to check out Sam Rowe on Insta and on Twitter and we're going to check out Allison on Substack and you guys will come back sometime?
1: Absolutely. Anytime. How's
2: tomorrow? Are you busy? I'll come every day. <laughs> All right. Hey, we love you guys. So great to see you. So great to see everybody. Uh, for those of you listening, if you like podcasts, don't miss Animal Spirits every Monday and Wednesday. Make sure to watch clips from this show with Allison and Sam on youtube.com slash the compound R-W-M. Thanks to Sam. Thanks to Allison. We will see you guys soon. Guys, watch this said. So.